This is the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, a collection of sermons from Dr. Lewis's time as a teaching pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. We hope you grow in your faith and love Jesus more as you learn through these teachings. Here is this week's message. ...that we're embarking on this morning. And as you turn there, I want you to know that there's no subject in this letter that is given more time and attention or more instruction than the one that Paul will now give concerning the subject of spiritual gifts. And we might ask, why so much attention to spiritual gifts? And I believe there are two reasons for that. First of all, the church of Jesus Christ is at its best when its people, its people, not its hired guns, but its people, are exercising the gifts that God has given them. And then secondly... An individual's personal life is never more satisfying over a lifetime than when they come to the place where they personally understand how God has gifted them and then find an area of ministry in which those gifts can be used effectively. When you get to that point, you have discovered your createdness. You have discovered your transcendent cause for which you've been created you've discovered a life of meaning and purpose and satisfaction that will carry you all the way to the end rather than disappoint you somewhere in the middle. So this subject of spiritual gifts is extremely important to the church as a corporate entity as well as for the individual life who's seeking meaning and purpose. Now, in your outline, I want you to notice that this passage breaks down neatly into two sections. You have the first three verses that deal with some general comments about spiritual awareness, that we need to be spiritually aware of some things. And then in verses 4 through 11, there are four specific comments that Paul introduces to the Corinthians and to us related to the use and purpose and meaning of spiritual gifts. So rather than delay, let's just go ahead and get right into it, shall we? Let's look at verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Notice the word gifts in your Bible. Most of you probably have in your Bible the word gifts found in italics there. And it's important that I just mention that it's there because the interpreters for a clarification purpose have inserted that word and most of the time in your Bibles, when they insert those words in italics, they're very helpful. I think in this case, it's not as helpful. They've tried to tie it to the discussion of gifts that's about to come. But I think the reality, it needs to stay just as it was in the original here. It just should say, now concerning spirituals or spiritual things or spirituality, as I think is the better interpretation. Now concerning spiritual things, he's speaking at this point in a kind of a broad kind of general way. I don't want you to be agnoeo. Now agnoeo is a Greek word. And that Greek word is the word from which we get agnostic. An agnostic is one who has no opinion other than he just doesn't know, right? I just don't know. Ah. Gnostic knowledge, ah, Gnostic, no knowledge, I just don't know. So Paul begins by stating up front the purpose that he has in mind for these next three chapters in this letter. And that is concerning spiritual things, that is 
spiritual gifts that he's going to introduce to us in a moment in chapter 12 and spiritual unity of the gifts that he will discuss in chapter 12 and spiritual priorities that he'll introduce to us in chapter 13 and the use of certain gifts in spiritual worship that he'll discuss in chapter 14. Paul says that I don't want you to be one who says, uh, I don't know. I don't want you to be that way. Because what I'm about to say to you is vital to the church of Jesus Christ. It's vital to the long-term satisfaction of your personal life and your very createdness. So therefore, concerning spiritual things, I don't want you to be an agnostic. I don't want you to say, well, I just, I don't know, I'm not very sure about what my gift is. I don't understand how those gifts are to be used. I don't know what my ministry is. Because to miss that is to miss some very significant things on the journey to becoming what Christ wants you to be. Now, there is one thing that the Corinthians knew well, and that's verse 2. The Corinthians did know something about their past. It says, you know, you do know, you remember that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the dumb idols, however you were led. That is, now that you're in Christ, you do now realize that there was a place in your life that you were manipulated by spiritual forces that maybe you weren't aware of then, but you are now. In fact, you might in your Bibles underline the phrase were led. It occurs twice there for emphasis. Those words were led clearly imply that there were spiritual forces at work in the Corinthians' lives, that those spiritual forces were real, even if the dumb idols to which those spiritual forces led them were not. But he's acknowledging real spiritual forces at work here. And he wants these Corinthians to remember from their pagan backgrounds, because they came out of pagan religions where they would have these frenzied kind of experiences. In fact, we get the word ecstasy from the Greek mystery religions that they once practiced. He wants them to remember back there that there were real spiritual forces at work in their life which subtly controlled them and led them to dead ends in life. And he said, you remember that. But here's what I want you to know this morning as we start. Are you aware of that? Are you aware that in every age there are powerful spiritual forces subtly at work that lead you to dead ends and dumb idols? Are you an agnostic? Do you go, oh, well. See, he's wanting you to understand that. The other night, I um, stumbled for just a few moments upon a half-hour special reuniting the monkeys. Now, just for, for my sake, how many of you remember the band, the monkeys? Let me just say. Okay, you might want to sing along with me then. <laughs> Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. People say we're monkeying around. Come on. But we're too busy singing. Isn't that sad? <laughs> now, the second hour probably won't even get it. But the first hour, they're the old timers here. And you remember that. And I watched that for about five minutes until finally one of my teenagers said, can we go now? <laughs> and then one of them turned off the TV and said, Dad, that's dumb stuff. <laughs> and you know, 
As a 47-year-old watching these old guys try to look like they were when they were 15, you know, it really was pitiful. It really was dumb stuff. And by the way, if you're a young person here, in 20 years, your kids are going to be watching Smashing Pumpkins, and they're going to be seeing exactly the same thing. Can we go now? But back in 1966, I paid $20 for a ticket to sit in an auditorium with 10,000 other people screaming for two hours for those guys. And they weren't dumb back then. You know what they were? They were cool. You know what else was cool? Polyester suits. It's cool. Love beads. Wide ties. Remember those giant ties? Huge flared bell-bottom pants. You know what else was cool back then? Free love. Dropping acid. Dropping out. Now, when I look back and see some of those replays, it all seems dumb. It really does. It just seems dumb. But back then, something led us to idolize those things. And in some cases, for some of us, to waste a good portion of our lives on those things. It's the same thing, by the way, for you young people that's leading some of you to smoke. Because you think it's cool. See, I grew up with two smokers, and I thought it was dumb. I was a young person in the house watching my mom and dad smoke and gag and cough and choke and keep trying to quit year after year after year and then die from cancer? And then there was my generation that rose up saying, that was dumb. Now your generation's walk, growing up watching the same thing on the movie screen while those actors who pretend to be moralists on the one side but get paid off for cigarette commercials on the other side smoke so you'll smoke and be cool. But you're not cool. And when your kids grow up watching you cough and gag and choke and get cancer, they're going to say you're dumb. And the cycle all starts over again, right? Now, who leads us to those places? It's a good question, isn't it? To say behind those dead ends and those dumb idols are cultural forces like the media or greedy capitalists or the entertainment industry, listen to me, would not be to go far enough. It's not far enough. Because something's driving them. What is it that causes a cigarette manufacturer to continue to produce cigarettes knowing it's going to kill young people? Knowing and actively targeting those young people. What is it that causes the entertainment industry to sell immorality? To revel in gore and violence and explicit sex? Who leads them to those places? Themselves? Well, if I could use something from the very entertainment industry itself, I can tell you what leads them there. It's the dark side of the forest, Luke. That's what leads them there. That what, that's what causes a person to set aside his own personal integrity, to do something that's wrong for the sake of greed. That's what pushes them there. Paul would say it this way in Ephesians 6. He would say it's spiritual forces in, of wickedness in heavenly places. John would say the whole world, the whole cultural system 
at its core, at its root, lies in the power of the evil one. Are you aware of that? See, because concerning spirituality, spiritual things, I don't want you to be an agnostic. I want you to understand these things. These forces are at work shaping and manipulating our lives and our culture all the time. And Paul would ask us, do you understand that? That's how he would start off this whole section. The Corinthians knew that. And as verse 2 declares, Paul uses that knowledge of spiritual forces to make his next point in point 3. Verse 3, rather. He says this, Therefore I make known to you, therefore, because you understand the spiritual forces of your past, well, let me make something clear to you. No one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, I wasn't happy with a lot of the commentators this week on this verse. I think it's just obvious that Paul is addressing some specific situation that's in Corinth when you get to verse 3. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but perhaps it was someone who claimed by divine, he was divinely inspired, he was in one of these moments of ecstasy, who the Corinthians admired in his ecstatic utterance, he said, Jesus is accursed. And what Paul is saying to them, no matter who that person was, no matter what statue of admiration you had for that person, when they said that, they weren't speaking by the Holy Spirit. They were speaking by one of those other spirits to lead you astray. The Spirit of God would never say that. He can't say that. That's because the Holy Spirit's passion is in just the opposite direction. Look at verse 3 again. You see it there. He, like other spiritual forces, is out for control too, but His control is to bring you under the Lordship of Christ. No one, Paul says, can call Jesus Lord and mean it, or much less live it, without the aid and assistance of a spirit. The Holy Spirit. One of the reasons for impotency in so many Christian lives is because this whole idea of a spiritual walk rather than a dutiful walk is outside the grasp of a lot of people because the idea of entertaining the Holy Spirit in a personal, intimate way is confusing to people. They're not sure about it. Some of them don't even know about it. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of the fact that apart from the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to successfully live the Christian life. That's what Paul wants them to know. You've got to have the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's the story of the old woodsman who comes in to town. He only came in once every three or four years. He was way out in the sticks. He came in and uh, wanted a new axe, and the salesman said, hey, you don't need an axe. You need this chainsaw. Sold him a chainsaw. He said, you can cut down... Ten times as many trees with this thing as you can your old axe. So he bought it and went off. And several days later, he comes back and he's mad and he throws the chainsaw down. He says to the salesman, I can't even cut down two trees with this thing. The salesman was puzzled with that. He took it and he looked at it and he flipped the switch to on and pulled back the cord. And all of a sudden, the chainsaw went, and the woodsman jumped back and said, What's that noise? Now that's probably a pitiful little story, but it's the best I could do this week, folks. But you know what it illustrates? It illustrates how a lot of Christians live their lives. They want to know what's that power when they see it in somebody else. 
What is that power? How come I go to church Sunday after Sunday and go through things and it all feels dry and dutiful and mechanical and not exciting? How come I don't have prayers answered like somebody else or experiences like someone else? What, what is it? It's the power source. And the power source is called the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to come under the Lordship of Christ. It's impossible. When the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, by the way, He comes in on a mission. He comes in to make Jesus the Lord of your life by His conviction, because He'll convict you, by His guidance, by His comfort, by His grace, by His supernatural kind of work, by His power. You know, last week, uh, Mike High, our home builders pastor, brought in a young lady who he just led to Christ in the office. And we were all excited for her, rejoiced with her in her newfound faith. But as, they, as I walked away, I thought to myself, you know, she, like any one of us who first come to Christ in that first blush of meeting Jesus Christ for real, she's got a big corner out there to turn, just like I did, just like you will or have. For that young lady, for anyone to be sustained in a, in a new Christian experience, a lifestyle, for her to grow in her Christian life, for her to sense the living presence of Jesus Christ, for the Christian life to be more than dry duty but a dynamic experience, she's got to make contact with the force. She's got to meet somewhere along that new journey the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Is everyone here aware of that? Are you an agnostic? Does that make sense or does that sound foreign? Does it sound real? Does it have something to reflect when I say that? Or is there nothing to reflect that off of? It's just, it kind of just goes out into space. See, if you find yourself here grappling with that kind of sense then I've got one of three applications for you. You need maybe to talk with somebody. Just It's good to talk to somebody and say, I just don't understand that. And let them interact with you. It might be that you need to go into Crossroads Bookstore and say, what are the books on the Holy Spirit? Just to increase your awareness of that. It could be that you in the privacy of your own time with God, you just need to open your heart to God and say, I don't understand that. I've never made contact with the Spirit. I want to know Him. I want to know how I walk with Him. It is so important that you understand it because He's the key that opens up a dynamic Christian experience from one that's just church going, church existing. And we need to be aware of that. It's critical stuff, Paul would say. Now he's going to give us some other critical stuff, but now he's turning the corner because if you'll notice in verse 4, he turns to now the subject of spiritual gifts. Look at verse 4. He says, now, now he's changing. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministry and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Here we're introduced in these verses, to the immense variations of the gifts. Now, we're going to look at a few of the gifts in a moment, but when you read through the Scriptures, you find that there are all kinds of gifts, 15, 16, 18. I didn't count them all this week. But there are a number of gifts that God has given His church. 
But I want you to know it follows this way. It follows from gifts to ministries to effects. Do you see that? Look at the verses there. Gifts to ministries to effects. And you can choose any one of those gifts, like the gift of helps, for instance. And that one gift helps can be expressed in hundreds of different ministries. But even if we took that one gift helps and related it to feeding the poor, okay, there could be many, many different effects. One guy with the gift of helps feeding the poor could feed just a few or one. Another guy could have the same gift feeding the poor and he could feed thousands. A Sunday school teacher could be working in a church teaching a few kids a class and those kids go out and they have a pretty good Christian life. On the other hand, you could have a Sunday school teacher like Henrietta Mears back in Los Angeles and she's teaching just a few kids in the classroom but they happen to be Billy Graham and Bill Bright. And it has an unbelievable effect. But when you take one gift, many applications, and that one gift, many applications, and then compound it more with huge numbers of effects, what you get is the same thing when it snows, and that is this. Every Christian is a snowflake. Every Christian is a unique creation of God, created in time for something to do with his life that will be meaningful for all eternity. And every person here is special and unique when it comes to spiritual gifts. Notice also the activity of the triune God in regards to these spiritual gifts because you see the Trinity here. Look at verse 4. You see the Spirit. Verse 5, Jesus is Lord. Verse 6, you see God the Father. Spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. The ministries that flow come from the leadership of Jesus as Lord and the impact of those ministries come from God as Father. Now that's a helpful outline for two very important reasons. First, it tells us that if we lack a ministry, it's not because we lack a gift. If you lack a ministry right now in your life, the issue is not gifting. Because every person has a gift, and we'll talk about that further, but every person is given a gift the minute you get the Holy Spirit. But if you lack a ministry, it's not because you lack a gift, it's because of line two. You lack lordship. That's what you lack. Either you're a young Christian who doesn't understand lordship, you're a struggling Christian who doesn't understand lordship, or you're an old-timer who's avoiding lordship. You could be in one of those three categories. And that's why you can't find your ministry. Because there hasn't come a place like Anne said when she was being baptized, where she came to a place where she said, I'm yours. Lead me. Take control. Because if Jesus is Lord... You will have a ministry. That, you see that in verse 5? There are ministries, but it comes when there's a Lord in your life. And that's very important to understand. Because I have people at times say, I'm not sure what God wants me to do. If you're not sure, then the place to go is not trying to find your gift. It's going to the place of trying to find your Lord. That's very important. There's a second good insight here in this little outline, and it's this, that the shape and the size and the scope of any ministry is not up to you, but it's up to God the Father. Paul knew that. The Corinthians, unfortunately, didn't know that. He had to chide them for the first four chapters of believing in themselves, believing in men, believing in their own skills. For instance, listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, Who then is Apollos and who is Paul? 
All we are is servants through whom you believed as the Lord gave opportunity. I planted and Apollos watered, but it was God who was causing the growth. I love to read that. You know why? Because I look at this great congregation, and I don't know what you think, but I want you to know what I think. Bill, Bill, Robert, Dan, Ray, Mike, we didn't do this. And the minute you begin to think you did do it, you are on such unholy ground. All that has taken place, all the wonder, all the spiritual life and dynamic and change that we've been privileged to observe was sent from God Himself. It's the result of God. I can generate a lot of religious activity, but only God the Father can generate spiritual reality. He's the only one. And when we know that, it's of comfort to me because then I don't have to worry that I'm, quote, responsible for everything that occurs. I'm here to serve and trust that God will cause the growth. And that's the way we need to approach any spiritual gift. Just use it and trust Him to grow it. That's why Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. There's a second truth besides just this immense variation. It's found in verse 7. It's the purpose of the gifts. Notice he says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There are two phrases there. Notice each one and common good. Those are the important phrases. As I said, the Holy Spirit doesn't enter the human heart empty-handed. When He comes in, He comes in bearing gifts. And this young lady who received Christ this week Though she's blushed with the forgiveness of Christ having found him this week, what she didn't realize is the moment she believed God placed his Holy Spirit within her and he came bearing talents and endowments for her to find a ministry over her lifetime. That's how he entered in. That's how he entered into you. And whether you know it or not, you have those endowments. No one has ever been left out when it comes to spiritual gifts. If you don't believe me, you can just jot down 1 Peter 4.10 and read it later. But the point here is what's really important is why you have that gift. Verse 7 says it's been given to you for the common good. It's not for your personal advancement. It's not necessarily even for your personal pleasure, though in time you'll delight in it. But what the gifts are given to for you is so that you in time will give them away to others. And it's only, only after you've given them away to others that your life takes on a more transcendent meaning than just yourself. Love the fact that Dan was leading us in worship away from self to God. You know, that's exactly where the spiritual gifts lead us. Away from self to God and to others. And it's only in the giving of those gifts away do then they finally come back to us as meaning and satisfaction and good pleasure. That's the purpose of the gifts for the common good. Now notice in verses 8 through 10, there's a sampling of those gifts. Only a sampling because like I said, later you can look in this chapter in chapter 12, verse 28, and you'll find other gifts listed. If you look in Romans chapter 12, you'll find other gifts like helps and service and administration. And then over in 1 Peter 4, you've got gifts. In Ephesians 4, you've got gifts. There's numbers of places where they're gifts. 
Like I said, I hadn't totaled them up, but I'll let Dan or Bill add them up and give them to you next week. But there are a lot of gifts here, and he samples some of those gifts. Notice in verse 8, he says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Now we often illustrate these gifts by referencing famous personalities. And I was tempted to do that this week. You know, talk about the word of wisdom. You know, we talk about Solomon or somebody like that. The gift of faith, Bill Brighton, building a worldwide evangelistic enterprise. You mentioned the gift of knowledge. How about Augustine, the great theologian, or J.I. Packer in our day, or prophecy. How about Martin Luther, or Billy Graham, or helps Mother Teresa, or miracles, the apostles during their apostolic age. You mention those like that. And it was true, those people had those particular gifts. But unfortunately, in illustrating the gifts with famous people, we can, if we're not careful, exaggerate them. We can over-spiritualize them. We can take them out of reach of ordinary folks like you and me. We can, in fact, imply that gifts belong to celebrities not to common folks. But you know that's not true. Gifts are common. And they're all around us here this morning. You know, when I think of the gift of the word of wisdom, that supernatural endowment that some people have where they can apply knowledge so precisely to specific situations, I think of Mike Robinson. That's who I think of. When I think of the gift of knowledge, that supernatural endowment of perceiving and understanding the truths of God's Word, I sat in an auditorium a few weeks ago and listened to uh, Dr. Jan Scruggs teach at Community Bible Fellowship. There's the gift of knowledge. Or how about David Chairs in our body who teaches? There's the gift of knowledge. When I think of the gift of faith, that supernatural endowment that gives a person an expanded ability to believe God, I think of guys like Jim Phillips in our body who who works with LT Care, a ministry to feed the poor, and saw a building down by Central High and just believed God for it. And against all impossibilities, got it. I can't wait to hear the story about that. Or how about somebody like Jeff Schulte, who is about to make a move to believe God for a church in Nashville, Tennessee. To go out to nothing, endowed by God with the gift of leadership. When I think of the gift of prophecy, how about our own Paul Stevens? who Sunday after Sunday goes down to Saline County Church and fills in in pulpit supply. The guy can preach. He can preach. We're not talking about an educated pastor, a guy that just knows the Word and can preach it. There's a guy who can prophesy. When I think of the gift of administration, I think of people like Mark Reibel, who last year organized a 1,000 people to do ministries all over the city on Helping Hands Day and is doing it again this year, but even more targeted. You'll hear about that later. When I think of the gift of helps, I think of Chuck and Suzanne Taylor who work with single-parent families and do it over and over, and their passion is growing in it. Or I think of Cliff and Edie Parnell who head up the team helping those who are struggling or considering divorce and the pain that it brings as we heard in the baptism, and they've been through it. But they're there to help people find a way through it and out of it and around it. Or Dorothy Woods who's constantly supporting people in the hospital 
people who are moved by a gift to help or the gift of serving. How about John and Denny Skates who every Sunday are up there in the lobby who came as newcomers, as visitors and said, where are the people to greet? And there weren't any. So they said, we'll do it. And they're out there running a whole ministry now. Or how about Barbara Northrup, who you don't get to appreciate because she's always in the second service and her team leading the deaf ministry. You know, you come to church and sit. She comes and waves her arms for an hour <laughs> and serves a whole community that's growing, even internationally now into Honduras as that group works with hearing impaired people. Or how about Stan and Mary Nowicki, who serve those suffering from AIDS. Every time we did help uh, the evening with him, I would meet them over here with a couple dying from AIDS that they served faithfully, faithfully every day, took care of their, got their kids adopted. You heard about that, but I watched that over the years. That's the gift of service. And there are many, many others. I had all kinds of names I could have written down, but the point is the gifts are not uncommon. They're common and they're here among us. And when more and more people find their gift and exercise it, the body of Christ glows. It impacts. It's not reserved for first century Christians or Christian superstars. It's reserved for you to find meaning and purpose for your life over a lifetime that goes on into eternity. And if you ignore it, you ignore the best part of yourself and you will look for other dead ends and idols to meet that which God has already given you. It's a gift and a ministry and you need to find it. That's why the subject is so vitally important. Of course, some of you are asking, well, what about these more difficult to understand gifts? Like in verse 10, the gift of miracles or tongues or interpretation of tongues. Well, I'm going to let Bill Parkinson handle that. <laughs> he loves controversy and difficult things. and So we'll let him get around to that when he hits 1 Corinthians 14. So let's look at verse 11. How the gifts are distributed. I want you to notice the key phrase in verse 11 is, as he wills. Notice it says, but to one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually. Here's the key line. Just as he wills. That is, the distribution of the gifts are under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I say that because there are some who think you can plead with God for a gift, beg God for a gift, pray for a gift. But this verse refutes that. And 1 Peter 4.10 says you already have your gifts. God already knows that. He's already distributed them at the moment of salvation. You just need to discover what they are. Understanding that the Holy Spirit sovereignly distributes the gifts as He wills helps us to also understand, by the way, why certain gifts are available at certain times and places and not at others. They're not just indiscriminate where we can use them and call them up anytime we want to if God hadn't given them to us. The Holy Spirit has chosen to give some gifts, in fact, more abundantly at certain times of history than at others. Some of the especially supernatural gifts were given in the first century in full, miracles and healings and all that kind of thing. And we know at the end of time, before Jesus comes again, those same gifts will be manifestly evident. Between times, they drop in, so on and so forth. Where and how? It's according to the Spirit, as He wills. And by the way, I thank God that He gives them and not we have to beg for them. Because if we did, we'd be begging for all the showy gifts 
we would be competing and envying one another and counterfeiting the gifts so that we could look good, which is exactly what the Corinthians were doing. They were making gifts up. They were in there speaking in tongues when they didn't have the gift of tongues. But it was because they thought it made them look spiritually superior. And Paul's reminding them here early on before he gets to that chapter, it's just as the Spirit wills. He decides, not you. Now with all of that, let me just give you three kind of concluding thoughts. What I think are important, very important thoughts for you to leave with here today. First is this, serving in the area of my giftedness should be the ultimate destination that every Christian seeks. Remember I said at the beginning and I said all the way through the message, you will never be more satisfied in your life than when you understand how you were created and you're using it. In fact, our whole church in some ways is set up on that basis. If I could give you a quick mini little discovery class session, you go through discovery, you find out about the church, and you move into a time of season of life. And the reason you're in that season of life is so you can explore the ministries of the church and grow, put down deep roots. But we don't let you stay there. We kick you out, right? And you know why we kick you out? We kick you out so you can explore ministries. Even ones that hadn't been created, we give them open-ended. We let you in common cause even think them up. Try them out, if you will. And what are we trying to do? The reason that's there is because we're getting you to experiment and find an area that you are gifted in and effective in because if we can connect you there, we have got you at the end point of your Christian destination where you will serve Christ with effectiveness and joy till He comes. That's how our whole church is set up. So knowing your giftedness should be the final destination of every Christian in this life. Secondly, I want you to notice that gifts and ministries become clear when Jesus is Lord. When God is in control of your life, if He has you, you will know what your ministry is in time. And then finally, just the beatitude, happy is he who gives away the gift God has given him. Happy is he who gives away the gifts that God has given him. You know, the outstanding 19th century Methodist preacher, William Quayle, once said it this way, a Christian is an estate. We are put into the world by God to give ourselves away to this world, not to gain, but to give, not to amass, but to disperse. The angel at the gates of heaven will make this inquiry of every comer. Did you spend all your estate? And blessed shall be the one who can answer, I have nothing left. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning for reminding us of this most essential subject in our Christian lives. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that one, we would not be agnostic when it comes to the ministry of the Spirit. And two, that we would not be unaware of the gifts that you have given us, this spiritual snowflake, to use for a brief period of eternity on this planet that we might honor you. Help us to see that. Give us ears to hear that this morning.
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. It really helps us when you rate and review this podcast. If you found today's teaching helpful, take time to do that today. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. Visit soundofarose.com for any of your podcasting needs.